If you'd like to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll just read the first 10 verses. I think I'm right in saying if your Bible is the same as mine, page 1174, but I'm sure you have a good idea where Ephesians chapter 2 is. In any case, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And we're just remembering this is, of course, God's word, and it's God's word for us here this evening. Paul writes, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even When we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are all God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. We want to thank God for his word tonight. I wonder, have you ever done something wrong and you feel terrible about it, annoyed at yourself and really worried about how other people are going to react and you have to go and own up, confess all. And lo and behold, they say to you, it's okay. Forget about it. And you can hardly believe it, how they've been so good about it and how you have got away with it. I remember years ago, and it is years ago now when I was a teenager, our youth fellowship leaders had this notion that the young people in the church could do a little bit of gardening for the older people just to help them out and to build relationships across the generation gap. It was a great idea in theory. The problem was that they hadn't actually checked out the gardening capabilities of the young people. And so I was let loose for the first time with a strimmer. I'd never worked with one of these before. On this wee woman's garden to try and tidy up her edges. But not looking where I was going, and therein lay the problem, uh, I managed not just to trim her edges, but to take down a good 75% of her beautiful springtime daffodils. 
And you can imagine my absolute horror at this horticultural fiasco and the fear of having to go and to own up and to tell her what exactly had happened. But bless her, this wee lady, she just smiled and she said, it's all right, son, you did your best and there's always next year. (laughs) Can you believe that? That wee woman showed me a lot of grace and a lot of mercy that day. And this evening, I'm wanting us for a few moments to think about God as a merciful God. We're going to be jumping around a few passages of Scripture as we do this, thinking too of the words of the fifth beatitude. You'll know it well. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And I want to make four points uh, this evening on this. Firstly, What exactly do we mean by mercy? In the New Testament, there are three Greek words which are translated into our word mercy, which help us in some of our definitions. The first is oiktirmos, which means having pity on those who are suffering. So you'll know 2 Corinthians chapter 1, God is described as the father of oiktirmos, the father of mercy and compassion, having a real sympathy for and being deeply moved by the struggles of others. The second Greek word, it's virtually impossible to pronounce, it is splagchunitsamai, which has a very similar meaning. This was the word used in Matthew chapter 9 when Matthew was describing how Jesus saw the crowds and had pity, splagchunitsamai on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is mercy, feeling enormous pity for people whom you deeply love. And the third Greek word is slightly different. It's the word ileo, which means not just feeling pity, but going and doing something about it. It's pity-inspired action. We're familiar with James in the New Testament who majored on this ileo idea. James chapter 2, verse 14, for example What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. One of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, there's a person in that passage who is long on theology, but short on practical charity. A great talker who never really gets around to rolling up the sleeves. The merciful disciple will be soft and gentle-hearted, but certainly not a softy. If you're going to be a truly merciful follower of Jesus, it will often be a hard graft. It will involve cost and sacrifice and pain and courage. Sinclair Ferguson writes, and I quote, Showing mercy to the needy is a hallmark of true conversion to Christ because showing mercy is not natural 
to sinful people. Naturally, you see, we're born with selfish, self-centered natures and wills. And it's only when we are transformed by God's redeeming, renewing grace that we are given this spirit-empowered ability to show this kind of godly mercy and compassion and to put it into action at cost to ourselves. And I think John Blanchard has got it right when he says, And again, I quote, as we work our way through Scripture, we see that mercy operates in two general areas. Practically, mercy operates to help the needy, and spiritually, it operates in granting forgiveness to the guilty. Let me repeat that. Practically, mercy operates to help the needy, spiritually, It operates in granting forgiveness to the guilty. Keep that in mind as we think secondly then about our motivation for mercy. Why be merciful? Why help others? And the simple answer is that we show mercy because we ourselves have been shown mercy by God. Throughout the Old Testament, God showed his mercy to the constantly errant Israelites so that they could say again and again, you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Think of David, godly man after God's own heart. But he sinned grievously when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And after much persuasion by Nathan the prophet, eventually God, uh, David came before God and cried out, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your unfailing love. And you see, this is where we must stress that God's mercy is bound up with his love. His kessed love, that is his unfailing, unconditional, unlimited, unstinting, undying love for his own people, both in the Old Testament and today as his New Testament, New Covenant people. It is a love that wilt not let me go. And this is important, you see. God didn't just feel sorry for the hopeless, hapless Israelites of the Old Testament. He took that decisive eleo action to help them, to intervene on their behalf, to help them and to restore them when they got themselves into such serious bother. God had eleo mercy, action-taking pity, again and again and again, whether it was rescuing them from their slavery in Egypt, or graciously restoring them after they'd fallen away into all kinds of apostasy during the period of the judges, or in delivering them back to Jerusalem after the period of exile to Babylon. And today we see God's attribute of mercy acted out at two levels. Firstly, there is common mercy. This is God's provision of man's basic needs for survival. Every atom and element that contributes to our survival is granted to us by a merciful and gracious God who could 
let's face it, with all his immense power, annihilate the whole planet at any moment, given our basic sinfulness, if he so desired. But he doesn't. He restrains himself. Everything in the natural order, all the planets suspended in space, the weather changes, the season changes, the provision that comes from the land, the beautiful landscapes, the seascapes, the cloudscapes, everything in the world around us is a statement of the sustaining mercy and grace of a compassionate and caring God. We owe our very basic existence to the common mercy and grace of God. But then, significantly, of course, we have God's saving mercy. Whereas his common mercy rests on everyone, the sun and the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous alike, his saving mercy is reserved only for those who believe in and follow Jesus. Those who have been, as we were reading earlier, made alive by him, even when they were dead in their transgressions. Paul writes, as for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But because of his great Hesed, love for us, God who is rich in mercy, there's love and mercy together, made us alive in Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. This is God's active ileo mercy. He didn't just feel pity for us in our sin and helplessness. Motivated by love, he did something about it to help us and to eternally rescue us from our hopeless condition. And the action he took was, of course, to send his son, Jesus, into the world to bear our sins on the cross, to bear the full brunt of God's wrath upon our sin, which we really deserved. This is God's saving mercy in all its grand magnificence. All we deserved was death and hell. But God has gloriously intervened, Elio mercy, through Jesus to rescue us. Such was his pity and compassion and love for us, even in our helpless state. If you know and love Jesus tonight, be in no doubt that he loves you deeply, passionately, unswervingly and completely. And he's shown it by his mercy and grace. Now you'll have picked up already tonight that God's mercy and God's grace are the two sides of God's coin of salvation, if you like. It's very hard to talk about one and not talk about the other. Popularly, we will say, in mercy, God withheld the punishment from us which we did deserve for our sins and in grace he gave us Jesus whom we did not deserve to take our punishment and to bear our shame. And God's mercies towards us continue. 
Jeremiah writes in Lamentations 3, because of the Lord's great love, there's love again, we are not consumed. His mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. So we never have to fear that one day God might get fed up with us and stop patiently working in our lives to mold us into greater likeness to Jesus. His mercies continue. So why do we show mercy to others? Why do we seek to help others in need? Simply because we ourselves have been shown such incredible mercy by God. He loved us and he came to help us when we desperately needed him and could do nothing absolutely nothing to save ourselves. We are recipients of God's great mercy, so we will gladly and gratefully and generously show mercy to others. So, thirdly, to get down to some practicalities, what are some of the specific ways in which we can show this full-orbed mercy to others? And there are three things I want to outline here. Firstly, there is restraint. God withheld his anger in mercy. He restrained his wrath. And if we are to show mercy and to be merciful followers of Jesus, we will be a people of restraint. Sometimes it is better to say and to do nothing. Holding back a word of anger. Suppressing the harsh, insensitive, nasty words which tear down. Resisting those put-downs or the sarcastic comments or the gossipy remarks which drag someone's reputation through the gutter, or not lashing out in temper, not seeking revenge just to get even. Paul in Galatians 5 speaks of the acts of the sinful nature, which include hatred and discord and jealousy and fits of rage and selfish ambition and dissensions and factions and so on and so on, There's a person with no restraint. But the true disciple filled with the Spirit will show forth the spirit of peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. There's a person of restraint showing mercy very often by what's not said and done. Secondly, we can show mercy by how we give Mercy is all about giving selflessly for the good of others. It's knowing that we have received so much from God materially, his daily blessings, his provision of family and friends who have helped us so much, and supremely, of course, the provision of redeeming grace through Jesus, his Son. Knowing that we have received all of this, As a thank offering to God, we should want just to give back whatever we can, generously, cheerfully, acts of kindness without without counting the cost to help others. So we can give our time, our energy, 
our gifts and our skills, our money and our resources in order to help others who are in greater need. And it does cost. Very often it does hurt us when the element of sacrifice really begins to kick in. And we need to ask ourselves, am I really prepared to give out and to give up for the greater physical, material, emotional, and spiritual needs of others. That is a real test of our faith and of our commitment and of our love for Jesus as well as for others. Because remember the words of Jesus, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did it for me. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, do you really believe that? And do you really live out that principle? So, for example, giving some time to call with an elderly or recently bereaved neighbor who's desperately lonely, or doing a spot of gardening for them without deheading the daffodils, or taking time to befriend someone with an addiction who's got themselves into trouble rather than just writing them off as a waste of time. Or channeling your gifts and skills into helping out with an organization or ministry in church where there really is a need. Helping out maybe one afternoon a week in a charity shop or a charity association, homeless shelter, whatever. Or you may not be able to go and directly help with some global humanitarian crisis, but you can be part of the relief effort or the mercy mission by giving sacrificially of your own material resources. There are so many ways in which we can show mercy by giving out and giving up. Ronald Sider in his book, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger, writes very challengingly, the gulf between what affluent Christians give and what they could give is a terrifying tragedy. Let's not contribute to a tragedy by giving much less than what we could be reasonably expected to give for others and for God's glory. And thirdly here, as well as giving, we are to show mercy by forgiving. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4.32 and he said, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And remember Jesus' shocking answer to Peter when Peter asked, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. And Jesus replied, well, not seven, but 70 times seven. In other words, we should be generous in forgiveness, even when the hurts run deep and situations are complex and it sticks in our throats and it nearly kills us to do it. This is what Jesus says. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile along the forgiveness road. And it's tough, tough very tough. But the words of Jesus and the biblical principle stand. 
generosity in forgiveness. Because lack of forgiveness is a huge reason why this world is in such a mess. Resentments, bitter recriminations and retaliations, be it internationally, nationally, locally, within communities, even within churches and within families. The lack of forgiveness. And this, friends, is our opportunity to show such a world of unforgiveness and lack of mercy that we are truly a distinct people. That it's different for followers of Jesus. Because we forgive easily and generously. And I'm afraid Jesus doesn't just let us away with thinking, well, this applies to everyone else, but it doesn't apply to me, that I'm different and I'm justified in harboring my offense and my resentment. No, for the sake of our witness, for the sake of our churches, for the sake of our own sanity, for the sake of our own spiritual growth, we need to be 70 times 7 type forgivers. We need to be outrageously generous. When it comes to forgiveness, Jesus says, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. Blessed are the merciful. So let's look into our own hearts and see if there are any of those hindering, destructive grudges, resentments or bitternesses, and then deal with them humbly and honestly before God. Because it is God's glory and honor that are at stake here. So finally, what promise is given to those who show mercy? Well, the fifth beatitude of Jesus, simply they will be shown mercy themselves. So what does that mean? Two levels very briefly. Firstly, here and now. There is Real blessing, isn't there? Real encouragement to be enjoyed just through giving and forgiving. It is more blessed to give than to receive. There is real personal satisfaction in seeing other people benefit and be blessed from our giving. To know that someone has really appreciated an act of mercy which we have just carried out for them. It's a deeply enriching experience to know that we are living out the Christian life just as God wants us to, paying the costs, paying the sacrifices, but receiving in return his wonderful smile of approval. That's deeply enriching. But secondly, of course, we will be showing mercy ourselves in eternity, in the future. Not, let me stress, that acts of mercy on their own pardon anyone from God's final judgment. We always teach very clearly and very strongly that we are, as we read in Ephesians 2, saved through God's perfect grace alone, lest anyone boast. That is given through Jesus Christ, who is received into our hearts by faith alone. And friends, anyone who has not experienced God's salvation personally through receiving the Lord Jesus Christ into their own lives here and now, who remains outside of the kingdom, will not experience the mercy of God in eternity unless they turn to Jesus 
repent of their sin and come to him in living faith. There is no other way. Someone once said, what we weave in time, we wear in eternity. For those folk who remain strangers to his grace, right to the end, there will be judgment without mercy. There will be condemnation and regrets and sorrows. And friends, I hope and I pray tonight that there will be no one here who will walk out through that door and leave themselves in that awful, vulnerable, dangerous situation where you could potentially face God's judgment without mercy. We all need God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ here and now if we are to meet him face to face at heaven's gate and hear his glorious words of welcome, well done, well done, now enter into the joy of the Lord. We need that forgiveness here and now. And those of us who know that our lives tonight have already been touched by his mercy, transformed by his grace, into merciful, restrained, giving, forgiving believers in Christ. We have cause to celebrate. We really have. Well, if that is you, one day you will discover that even the greatest blessings which this earth can offer will be hugely and incomparably surpassed with the glories of heaven in the immediate presence of Christ. As merciful disciples tonight, living the Christian life as God intends, we know, yes, we know, we have no condemnation to fear. No more costs or sacrifices. We will then see him face to face and see the fullness of his mercy as he welcomes us into heaven. And we are told, just enjoy the pleasures forevermore. So may God teach us tonight to be a merciful people as he himself is rich in mercy. Let's just pray together. As I do so, I want to use the words of American pastor Scotty Smith who just writes the most wonderful prayers. They're so edifying and just so enriching. Just listen as we pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for being the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, the God of limitless patience, of inexhaustible forbearance and incomparable compassion. Instead of giving us what we deserve, you've given us Jesus, who is our perfect righteousness and everlasting peace and greatest joy. Hallelujah. As you extend mercy to us, so you call us to do the same for others. But sometimes, Lord, that feels unreasonable, even impossible. May your kindness trump our critical attitudes 
and not so righteous indignation. Heal our pain, ramp down our anger and center our hearts only in the gospel, only in the law of liberty, which frees us to live and to love you as you would want. Father, we seem to love being easily irritated, offended, and impatient. We keep records of the ways people hurt, fail, and disappoint us more easily than we overlook, forbear, and forgive them. Sometimes trying to love well just wears us out. Sometimes rolling our eyes is easier than opening our arms to repeat offenders. Thank you for not despising our weakness and struggle. Thank you for being patient with us. We appeal to you for wisdom for our more complex relationships. Show us what mercy looks like when we feel like we're being exploited and manipulated and used. We know you're not calling us to be doormats, but you are calling us to wash feet. And so our cry is, Abba, Father, help us. Teach us about healthy boundaries, mercy which hurts us, and extraordinary grace. Empower us for loving in the broken places. Fill us with your spirit. Strengthen us by the gospel. And help us navigate the more soul-depleting relationships. Thank you for your promise of daily mercies, sufficient grace, and yet more grace. And so we pray in Jesus' kind and powerful name. Amen.